I made the mistake one time of, I, I led worship at a church in Orlando, and we were playing the church's one foundation, and I thought, hey, it's a apostrophe S, I'll just put is instead, so it was the church is one foundation, that was a big mistake, um, I was corrected afterwards, don't do that. Um, okay, this morning, we're reading a passage out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 29 through 35, so if you got your Bibles turned there, it's printed in the bulletin. And as we read, I want you to, we're going to focus this morning on 24 and 25. So those are the verses we're really going to dig into and sort of draw the implications for the next few minutes together. So um, a little bit of context, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. And in the midst of this persecution, they're tempted to sort of bring the old rituals out of the closet. Whether it's from, whether they're being persecuted because um, they're not under Judaism anymore, which is sort of an officially sponsored state religion under the Roman Empire, and that's causing persecution, or they're being persecuted by the Jews themselves. Whatever it is, they're being persecuted. And so they're tempted to sort of go back to the old way. And this is where the writer comes along and says, no, 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 you can't go back to the old way. Christ has finished the work. And if you do that, you go back to no way. All right, so let's, let's read our text together with that thought in mind. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh... And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now focus right here. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we love you this morning. We come by the blood of Christ. He's the glory of heaven. He's the glory of earth. We pray that you would come by your spirit. You'd be in our midst, that you would speak. Because apart from you, none of what I'm going to say matters. So Holy Spirit, come. Fill our time. With your power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Do you know Jesus? Yes, I, I, I know Jesus. Really, great. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church anywhere. Really, why not? And that's where the conversation gets really interesting. There are all, kind, there are all kinds of things that fill in that blank. The church is full of hypocrites. I've been wounded by the church. Church didn't meet my needs. Just haven't found one. And we're going to get to each of those. I'm going to deal with each of those objections in just a minute. But I think the thing I want to drive home to your hearts this morning is all those objections really reveal one thing. It's that in America, the 21st century, we don't value the church as Christ values the church. We sort of bought into this idea that it's sort of me, the Bible, and Jesus out in the woods playing a guitar, singing Kumbaya, and that's as good as the church. It's just me and Jesus. It's sort of a me-centered, 
self-centered, personal relationship, and that's it. That's all it is. Okay, and there is certainly, right, it's certainly personal. It's certainly, you need to know Christ. But Jesus died, as our song said, for the church. He died for His people. He died for those that He called out to be His own. So the challenge that I want us to think about, like the title of the sermon says, Why the Church is Not Optional, I would dare to imagine that us in this room, even those who would say, yes, I love Christ and want to honor Him, we don't, we don't think about the church the way He does. We don't love it the way He does. We think oftentimes it's not that necessary. It's not really that important. It's not really that valuable. And contrast that, that sort of approach. I've talked to tons of people who have given me that answer. Um, contrast that to the 20th century British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's what he says. The greatest privilege that a Christian can experience in this life is to be a member of a local evangelical church. The greatest privilege... Now, how many of us today would say, that would be my answer this morning if someone asked me that in the lobby out there? The greatest privilege is that I would be a member of the church. Okay, because it's to say, I'm a member of the kingdom of God. I know His people. I'm a part of that. So this morning, as we dig into that, look, my purpose is not to beat you up and kind of say, hey, why are you not coming? All right? But my purpose is to get you to consider and to think about biblically. Do I value what Jesus values? Do I love what he loves? Do I, do I love what the Bible says I ought to love? Does what matters to me, does it matter to Christ? Does what he cares about, do I care about? I think you have a great example of this. Um, so I guess the world didn't end yesterday. We're all still here. But that's a great example of someone who's, who's taken a part of Scripture and twisted it. Jesus says, no man will know. So that's why I don't think the guy out in California knows. Because that's what Jesus says in the Bible. And so I think that's the importance of Scripture. There are ads all over the USA Today, apparently. But that's the importance of what the Bible says. And sticking to the Word of God and what it says is important. What it says matters. Okay, so we want to do that same thing this morning as we talk about the church. So, like I said, we're going to focus on the last two verses in this text. But as we do that, there's a lot that comes before that. Justin Clement preached a couple weeks ago, and what he said applies here today as well. He said, what we're going to talk about today is for those who already know Christ, those who understand what Christ has done, which is it's given in the first half of this passage, right? He's died, and because of His blood, we have life. We're saved not by what we do, but by what He has done. And because of that, that grace begins to work in our life, and we're saved by grace, and we begin to follow Him and to value what He values and to desire what He desires. So what we're going to talk about is the question, okay, we, we understand the gospel and that Christ has died and He's given us life. Based on that, how then should we live? What kinds of things should we love? What kinds of things should we value? So that's the same this morning as it was a few weeks ago. And so, in this text, in the last two verses, here's what it says. We need the worship and fellowship of the church. 
or we're not going to make it. Okay, we need the worship and the fellowship of the local church or we're not going to make it. Therefore, don't let good excuses get in the way. Don't let good excuses get in the way. Because listen, I mean, you can... There's a couple of things. One, you can... If you're not involved in the worship and fellowship of a local church, there are two things I think will happen. Either one, you'll sort of walk away completely. You say, you know, I, I don't want any of that anymore. I just kind of want to do my own thing. I don't, I don't really believe it. Um, or the second is, you'll begin to live this, quote, Christian life that really has very little to do with Jesus or the Bible or, or what he calls us to. And you'll say that that's Christian. And you'll start doing that. But it's not really... It's not what the Bible says. It's not who Jesus is or, or what he calls us to. So, let's think about that this morning. The first thing is, let's look at our verses again, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, as is the habit of some. Okay, so the first thing is, it is the habit of some not to meet together. Okay, the Jewish Christians in this context, they're being persecuted. They have a very good reason to say, hey, I'm going to take a break for a little while. They have a very good reason. Um, they're being persecuted for their faith. But the writer doesn't say, you know what, no big deal. You're right. You're being persecuted. Just stop meeting together. And so maybe the situation is, when they come to meet together in public, people are going to see who they are. They're going to know who the Christians are. They're going to say, it's that guy over there. And maybe increase their persecution. And yet he still doesn't say, hey, that's okay. He says, no, it's too important that you get together. It's too important that you worship, and that you fellowship together. For us to not do it. Again, how many of us would say that to somebody who says, look, you know, I really want to come to church. I really want to be here. I want to be a part of the body. But if I do, then I'll get demoted at my job. How many people would say, hey... It's too important. Go ahead and take the demotion. Go ahead and take it. Because you've got to be a part of the community. You've got to be a part of the believers. Okay, so that was their excuse. What are some of ours that get in the way? Um, one that you hear a lot, the church is full of hypocrites. My answer to that is, of course it is. Yes, it is. There are tons of hypocrites in the church. I'm one of them. I would dare to say that you are as well. But here's the, here's the deal. There are two kinds of hypocrisy. One is hypocrisy that comes from faith in the sense that I'm saying, yes, you know what? I don't live up to the standards that I profess. And I think if you followed me around for a while, you'd see that. But then what's my response? Just to go to Jesus and say, Lord, you know what? You're right. I'm not living up to the standards I profess. But change my heart. Make me more like you. So that I begin to walk in a way that honors you, that adorns the gospel, that shows your grace to the world. Does that make sense? In this life, we're sinners. And we're saved by grace. I'm not saved by being a good guy or a good father or anything else. I'm saved by what Christ did a long time ago. And I'm praying that that would more and more be rooted in my life so that I begin, begin to be like him and walk as he walked. Okay, but as long as we're on this earth and we're believers, there's going to be sin in our lives that we have to deal with. That's not the kind of hypocrisy that says, hey, Jesus died for me and, uh, man, now I can go sin as much as I want. 
That's not biblical faith. So there are hypocrites in the church. But, but if that would be your excuse this morning, let me ask you this. Do you know of any individual, any business, any organization that would say, that's the standard I want to be judged on? Have I lived entirely in line with the values that I've espoused? Anybody? Nobody. I've never met anybody that wasn't hypocritical in at least, well, in many ways. Okay, so um, I think this is captured well in one of my favorite bands is Counting Crows, and they had an album that came out in the 90s that I still love. But it, um, there's this line that said, we talk just like lions, but we sacrifice just like lambs. He gets it. There's a lot of big talk. But when it comes down to laying it on the line, how much should I really lay down? Is it in line with my talk? And I don't think it is. So, of course, the church is full of hypocrites. But if we know Christ, we acknowledge that. We're seeking to change by His grace, be more like Him. Second one I've heard, we just haven't found a church that meets our needs. Okay, certainly you want to be at a place where you fit in. You want to be at a place where you feel like you fit. Um, But if a church is faithful to the Bible, if it's faithful to the Scriptures, there are options that you can choose from. There, There are places that you can go. There are to get engaged. And I, I understand maybe like you don't want to be fully engaged in a place because you don't want to be all about a church and then six months later say, hey, i got to leave. You know, this, this doesn't work or whatever. But if that goes on for like months and years of not engaging in the fellowship of the church, not engaging regularly in the worship of the church, you got to ask yourself, Have I changed the words of the song, it's all about you, Jesus, to it's all about me, Jesus. It's me, church. It's what I need, what I want. There's a funny YouTube video. It's a song that has changed that, and it's it's all about me. And there's another video that talks about um, the ideal church, and you have different couples sitting there, and one says, I want to go to a church that begins when I get there. I want to go to church, you know, and it's just down the line, all these different kinds of things. But I think that's, that's the question we want to ask ourselves. Are we engaging, we're not engaging because we just can't find a church, or is it because it's all about us? But first and foremost, we worship God because He commands it, and He's the Lord. He's God. And He says, hey, come and worship me and be a part of my people. The benefits that we get out of that are secondary to that. Right? They're, they're secondary to that. Number three, I've been hurt by church people. And perhaps um, been people at Redeemer or people at other places. And I know this happens. I've hurt people. I'm sure. I know, in fact, I know I have. And I'm sure other church people have hurt people. But biblically, let's think about this for a minute. If somebody has hurt you to the point where... You're going to lay out a church over it. Let's not do that. Let's rather go to Matthew 18 and go to them and say, Hey, this is what happened and this really hurt me. I feel like you sinned against me here. And if they don't listen, it's a legitimate concern. Matthew 18 lays it out. Bring somebody else in the church and go to them and say, Hey, this is a big issue. 
And if they don't listen to that point, then you go, you tell the leadership of the church, you say, hey, this is what happened. But don't let it keep you out of the body of Christ. It's a lot easier to kind of cover over a wound rather than dealing with it. But if you do that, you'll be bitter and you'll be angry. You won't be able to love people. So don't let that keep you away from the body of Christ. Number four, and I think this is a big one. We're too busy. Right? I'm too busy to get engaged in the worship and the life of the church. And whether it's sports or business or whatever, none of these are worth missing the corporate worship of the body of Christ. Um, travel ball teams play every Sunday. You can't come forever. I think that's a tough one. I think, wow, what do we teach our children? Do we teach them that baseball or whatever ball is more important than Christ? Something to think about. But my point is not to say, like if you're sick, okay, and you got the flu, I don't expect you to come down here and, you know, hacking down the, <laughs> the pew and sit in the, and get everybody sick and, you know, there are, there are legitimate reasons for not being here. Okay, there, there are legitimate ones. And my point is not to create a catalog of reasons why you can come and not come. But the question is, is Sunday worship the most important event on your calendar? I think we have to ask ourselves that. Because the world to come will last forever. It'll last forever. Um, John Owen says this regarding missing church frequently. He says, where such neglect is frequent and every trivial diversion is embraced unto a neglect of this duty, the heart is not upright before God. Every trivial diversion. Uh, Another commentator named William Lane says this, it's sobering to discover that in the early 2nd century, okay, in the 100s A.D., In Rome, it was simply preoccupation with business affairs that accounted for the neglect of the meetings of a house church. Okay? It was business in the second century. Can't do it. Got business. And parents, think about this for your children. If if your child had cancer, I would be willing to bet anything that you would do whatever it took to get them the treatment they needed. Guys, you wouldn't miss it for business. You wouldn't miss it for sports. You wouldn't miss it. But how much more important is the medicine, the life, the joy, the hope that the gospel brings? How much more do I need that? How much more do we need that as a body? I would say much more, because like I said... If you live to be a, a hundred years old, it's just a drop in the bucket. Finally, we just don't see that the church is all that important or that we really need the church to live a Christian life. And I think this underlies a lot of, a lot of the other ones many times. That it really is, I don't see that the church is that valuable. Because I don't see that it's that valuable... I'm going to say that it's just full of hypocrites and that's why I don't participate and that's why I don't engage and that's why it's not a larger part of my life. 
based on our passage today, we see it like a, like a gas station. As long as I have gas in the tank, I'm good, so I can just cruise until I have an issue or I feel a need, and then I engage. As long as that tank's full, I don't need it. I would just say, based on our passage this morning, that Jesus disagrees with you. He says that we need it, no matter how we feel about it, that we need it. And listen, I am, I am far from perfect on this, okay? And I'm not telling you this because I want you to come watch me and see how well I've got it figured out. But I'm telling you this based on our passage today, right? What does it say? Stir each other up to love and good works. So who's that include? It includes me. Stirring us up to love and good works. When I lived in Orlando and I was in seminary, I led worship at a church for about two and a half years. Uh, and there was another PCA church that opened up in our neighborhood. And we decided, okay, it would be better for our family to be here. If we wanted to invite people, it would be like, okay, here's our church right here. You don't have to drive 25 minutes to get to it. This is where we live. Um, I remember sleeping in and missing church. Okay? Many mornings. And it wasn't good. It was foolish, and it's my fault, and the blame is right here. So I'm not telling you this because I'm flawless in this regard. But we need it. We need the challenge. We've all seen those movies where the dad's really busy at the office and he misses the son's baseball game and he promised, promised, promised he's going to be there. And he misses it again. He doesn't show up. But nobody feels sympathy for the dad, right? Even though he's got good reason. Why is that? It's because some things are more important than others. Some things matter more. I think that's the case here. Okay, so everyone has a good excuse. Okay, everyone has a good excuse. But secondly, everyone needs the stirring up and encouragement to make it home. We all need each other. We need to worship Christ. We need the fellowship that He gives I'm going to read through our text one more time, these last two verses. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As I said earlier, the concern of the writer to the Hebrews is that they're drifting away from the faith, that they've left Christ, that they're now focusing on things that are going to lead to their death. And as I said earlier, the importance is you either walk away or you either create your own Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. It's not what Jesus defines as, as what we're to be all about. This drifting away, C.S. Lewis captures it well, I think, when he says the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That's what he's talking about. See, you drift away, slowly but surely, into the night. Okay, so what are they talking about when, when he says meeting together? What are they doing? Primarily, it's worship and fellowship, studying the scriptures, being together as the body of Christ, like we're doing this morning, right? Worship and being with one another. I had a great illustration of this on Monday night. Monday night, um, I get together the session meetings as a sort of a pastoral intern and 
It's a Monday night, a session meeting, if you're not familiar with our denominations, where kind of the leaders of the church come together and decide issues, talk about what's going on, what needs to go on, those kinds of things. But I left so encouraged. Group of men sitting around talking about what's going on, talking about their lives, praying together. I left thinking, you know what? I do want to be more faithful to Christ. I do want to share Him with more people. I do want to know Him more deeply. And that's what he's talking about. I'm sure in each of your lives you can give an example of, hey, I was in this men's Bible study, or hey, I was in this women's Bible study, or hey, I was a part of a community group, or I started going to this church, and he encouraged me to follow Christ, to engage in what he's doing in the world. And it made me want to follow him more. That's exactly what he's talking about. And our challenges, there, there are three main things that I think are against us. That you're in a fight, the fight of your life, the fight for your heart. The fight for what are you going to bow down to? What are you going to worship? What are you going to love? And there are three enemies that the church has sort of traditionally defined as these are the things that are against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm going to hit them real briefly and then we'll be done. First, the flesh. We're sinners. We're sinners. And because we're sinners, we love Christ. Augustine said there are three kinds of loves in me. There's a love in me that loves the good. There's a love in me that loves the evil. And he says, there's a third kind of passion in me that loves the love that loves the good and hates the love that loves the evil. And I think that's the Holy Spirit in your life. That as much as we want to serve Christ, we see that war within our hearts. The New Testament speaks up. That as much as we do want to follow and obey and seek and know, we still rebel in our hearts. Okay, there's a fight. Rob Edwards uh, illustrated this well in an article he wrote on sanctification. It's very good. Uh, he says, The importance of this was impressed on me while running my first half marathon. The initial six or seven miles, I ran in the middle of a group of about 10 or 11 runners. I felt as though I was just being pulled along. The running was easy. In fact, I wasn't even focused on running. My attention was on the group, our movement together, where I was in relation to others. There was a lot of energy and excitement. But about halfway through the race, I realized I couldn't keep pace. I had to pull back. All of a sudden, I was all alone, and my thoughts turned to myself. Into my mind came thoughts such as, no one would care if I walked. I don't even have to do this. I can stop. It was much more difficult running alone. Motivation was easy when I was surrounded by others. We were all keeping pace, all headed in the same direction, moving towards the same end. The same is true in sanctification. Sanctification is just a big word that means being made like Jesus. There's momentum that comes from joining with others as we strive together against sin and move closer to the image of Christ, encouraging one another as we go, all longing for the same man. Listen, I don't like to run, but I know it's good for me. And by the time I make it to the end of my driveway, most days when I'm going to run, I'm thinking, man, this was a dumb idea. And I'm ready to quit. Right? And I'm thinking... You know, I'll make that mailbox and I'll walk for a while. Okay, but if I'm running with a friend, between breaths trying to talk, if I'm running with a friend, I have somebody that encourages me along the way. And the, and the thoughts in my head aren't as loud as they could be. Because I'm talking with a friend as we walk down the road. As we run along the way. That's exactly what he means. Those people in our lives that encourage us. Following Christ is hard. Jesus promised suffering. It costs. And it takes those people to encourage us along the way. 
pointing us to the truth. Second, the devil. Simply put, he's the worst villain in history. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy believers. That's it. That's his only job. That's what he does 24-7. And we don't take that very seriously either. Think about if you had somebody, a human, living on this earth right now who's like, I'm going to kill you. I'd be pretty aware most of the time. I'd be thinking about this. Okay, how am I going to keep from getting this person? I would be thinking about it, but we don't think about it that way. It's important. I think that's another example of taking Scripture seriously. Finally, the world. Francis Schaeffer um, put it this way. He described the world as a glorious ruin. Fantastic way to think about it. You see, you see the once glory, but it's, it's faded, and now you see sort of rubble. You see what was intended, and it's beautiful, but at the same time, it's, it's broken. I think the same way is this world. And as we live in this world, um, Jesus promised persecution. He promised suffering. Uh, like Hal preached on last week. Luke 6.22 said, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. On account of the Son of Man. He said, people will persecute you. I mean, I think this is easy, easy to see. How many of you, as you're working in your business, you're working for your boss, are encouraged to do things that are unethical? How many of you are encouraged to do things at school? You students, that spend a lot of time with middle school and high schoolers. How many of you are asked to, hey, let me copy your homework? How many people do you know that are really encouraging you along the way, where you work, where you go to school, where you live? I would dare say some, right? There's some people, but I wouldn't say a lot. So I I think it's, we see the persecution and the challenge of the world in those things. And I think the Lord of the Rings illustrates this well. Probably my favorite speech from the very long movies. And this is when um, Frodo, you know, he's got the ring and he's supposed to take it to burn it up in the fires of Mordor. And he's taking it and he wants to quit. But he's got his buddy Sam there and this is what he says. Sam says, It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing. This shadow, even darkness, must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stay with you that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. And what are we holding on to, Sam? And he said that there's some good in this world, Mr. Fredo, and it's worth fighting for. There are plenty of days where I'm like, man, I'm just going to quit this. But I want to quit. And I'm sure there are plenty of days that you want to quit too. What good is this doing? Do I see any impact? It makes life hard following this Jesus guy. But then there's your wife or your brother, or your sister, or your family, or your friends, who say there's a Savior and He's worth fighting for. He's worth following. 
He's worth giving your life to because He is who really matters. Because that's what life is really about. And guess what? Everybody has a good excuse. But everybody, you need the church. I need the church. You need the worship and the fellowship, and so do I. You won't survive without it. It certainly doesn't mean the church is perfect. Augustine had another famous quote. He said, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Jesus Christ died for that prostitute outside the city, all alone. There wasn't anybody around. When he took my sins and yours, he didn't have a cheerleading section. He's all alone, outside the gate, dying for people who hate him. That is the Jesus that gives us life. He's the one who dies for the church. He's the one who calls us out and says, follow me. Come to me. I'll give you life. I'll give you hope. He dies for the church. So my challenge for you today is to think about these things. Do you love what he loves? Do you value what he values? If you don't know Christ this morning, here's what I would say. He offers you that fellowship. He offers you access to the Father. And a chance to be in community with believers who are sinners just like you. Who can walk the road with you. Who can be honest about their struggles with you. Because guess what? Nobody, there's nobody in here who doesn't need Jesus to die for them. Especially me. Nobody. And if you do know Christ, do we love what he loves? I went to a graduation on Friday night. And graduations, there's always kind of a cool moment there where you... You see what's been accomplished and you know that it's a big turning point in somebody's life. And, and the speaker always says the same thing. Okay, they say it a bunch of different ways, different stories, different lives. But they ultimately say, live for what matters. Live for what lasts. Jesus lasts forever. He's the only person that will never change. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. My challenge to you this morning is, if we're going to live for Him, if we're going to follow Him and seek Him, we need each other. You need me and I need you. But we're not going to make it. So come join the fight. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Jesus, you are the glory of heaven and we do pray that you would challenge each of our hearts and our minds to love what you love, to desire what you desire. I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for bringing them here. I thank you for um, them listening. And I pray that you would open hearts and minds to the truth. That you would challenge us to be faithful to you, knowing that you have redeemed us by your own blood. We love you, Father. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.